about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. I have revealed to you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture could be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Thank you, Rach, for reading the Bible for us. Lovely to see a Bible in frame. People were commenting on that online. And that looks like an absolutely enormous Bible. I don't know if it was just close to the camera but loving it, loving the vine in the background. Looks like it's growing well as well. Friends, we're, we're in John 17, and John 17 is one long prayer. It's in three parts, though, conveniently for three weeks. It begins with Jesus talking to his Father, and then Jesus praying for the disciples, and then Jesus praying for us, for everyone who believes in the message of the disciples. And last week, Andrew took us on a great look at the first section, and tonight I'm going to look at the second one, where Jesus prays for his friends, for his brothers who he's journeyed with for a few years, and now he's going to leave them. And they've got heavy hearts. And they're feeling the weight of the moment and the vulnerabilities of the moment. That they're being sent out into the world and Jesus is leaving them. And in some ways, they might be feeling like, well, all the good stuff's going. We're being left behind in some way. And heading out into the world that is dark and difficult and heading into the night of Jesus' death and heading into an uncertain future... They need some, something sure and confident to stand on. And so Jesus prays for them. And he prays that God would protect and keep them through all that is about to happen. But there's much more happening in this passage than just that. Because really, let, let's think about it. If you added the main things he says in this passage into a tweet, which you could do, that Twitter hash is actually real as well, real Jesus Christ. Uh, you go find that later. It's not actually Jesus, but there you go. But if you were to get just the, the things he asked God for, 
they'd fit in those few lines. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It'd fit in a Twitter kind of space. But do you notice how it's much bigger than that? This is kind of a big finale speech from Jesus. In fact, it's best to think of this as part of the teaching that he's been doing since chapter 14. In the middle of the prayer, he even names what he's doing as he's doing it. He says to his father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus wants the disciples in the midst of their vulnerability to walk with his joy. He thinks there's a reason for confidence in the uncertainty and in the vulnerability and in the anxiety. And that's what is, fills out his prayer. In fact, what is filling out his prayer is a grand vision of God. A grand vision of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Because this isn't just an abstract idea of our faith. It is itself a comfort and a confidence. Friend, you might know a lot about vulnerability right now. Or uncertainty. Or some of the things that the disciples would have been feeling in this moment. Like them we get to look on the vision of God that Jesus gives us as a reason for joy and a reason for confidence, even in difficulty. So I've got three things tonight about Jesus' grand vision of God and his work in the world to give us joy in vulnerability. The first one is this, as he prays for his disciples. The disciples belonged to the Father before they belonged to Jesus. Did you catch this? It's Right at the beginning, in verse 6 in particular, Jesus says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me and I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. And all I have is yours. And all you have is mine. These are really interesting words. And I think if you were a disciple listening to them, they would be pretty grand and head exploding. Think about their experience. They've met a Galilean preacher and sat under his teaching, and worked out that he has a connection to God the Father, that he and the Father are one. Their entire experience is tied with him. And so his coming absence is a big problem. But what does Jesus say to them? It's repeated. I've even highlighted it and italicized it for you. The disciples belonged to the Father before they belonged to Jesus. What does he say? Those whom you gave me, they were yours and you gave them to me. Before the disciples met Jesus, God the Father had set his affection upon them, had called them his own. And so he sent his son into the world with his word to reveal the Father to them. He gave them to Jesus' care. Now this is a very important point. And it's a very interesting point of theology. Do you notice how everything that Jesus has, he, ha he gets from the Father. 
He has the Father's name. He has the Father's disciples. He has the Father's word. He receives everything from the Father. And yet it doesn't happen in reverse. The Father doesn't just receive things from him. Here, here's the difference between Father and Son in the Trinity. The Father gives and the Son receives. They are different. Here is the wonder of God. And yet here it's not just an abstract doctrine. Here is a fantastic comfort for the disciples. Jesus was just looking after them for a little bit. The Father gave them to Jesus. And now Jesus is handing them back into the hands of the Father to whom they already belong. They are in safe care with the one who had already fixed his affection upon them. There is no gap, no sloppiness in this barren change. The disciples belong to the Father before they met Jesus and they will after. And he is the one who will keep them, protect them, help them, guard them, enable them in whatever comes ahead. Friends, is this not a comfort for us too? Seeing the wonder of this? The wonder of this father and son who give and receive and have all things in common? This father and this son who in the spirit have fixed their affection upon the disciples and then upon us. That we might also belong to this father. This father to whom we belonged well before Jesus entered the world. Friend, it does not matter what has happened in your life. It does not matter what you have done. The Father, through His Son and in His Spirit, wants you to belong to Him. And nothing in the days that come can change that. But Jesus has more for us than that. And the second thing we get, and and this is the core of Jesus' petition, is that the Father will then continue to keep the disciples as Jesus did. Now, I'm using the word keep here. I know the NIV we read earlier says protect. There's a slight difference. I I just like this translation a bit better. I think it's a bit... uh, There's two ways to take the verse, and I think the ESV is a little bit better. The ESV, you can see it here, uh, says, Holy Father, this is verse 11, keep them in your name which you have given me. NIV says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. This is a slight difference, right? Uh, The ESV says uh, being kept in the name, inside it, like a location. And the NIV is kind of being protected by it, as if it's the kind of the cricket bat that the Lord, Holy Father, protects you with. Now, I think the first one is the way to go. And let me tell you why. And what I think Jesus is really asking for here in the Father keeping us, which is a beautiful thing in itself, isn't it? Being kept, being held, being guarded. By God the Father. But what's this strange language of name? Keep them in your name. What are we talking about here? Well, throughout Scripture, the idea of God's name is very important. The divine name is what is the settled set of characteristics that define God's relationship to his people. Right all the way back in uh, earlier in Scripture, in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses meets the Lord and is sent to Egypt, he has a question for the Lord as he's being sent. Who am I going to tell them has sent me? What's your name so I can pass it on to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
Or I will be who I will be. I will define who I am in my name by what I do and how I relate to you and my people. I will prove myself through my promises. And so what happens through the Old Testament is that the character of God is kind of unfolded through the events that happen. And we see his faithfulness and love and compassion and, and justice and holiness and wrath unfolded in his glory, in his long history of dealing with his people. Moses gets a summary of this in Exodus 34 a bit later. The Lord proclaims his name, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. That's the the summary of who God reveals himself to be through the history of God's people. But in John's gospel, something really important happens in this biblical theme of name. And that's that God the Son has the unique responsibility of revealing the Father's name and the fullness of God's name. So in the beginning of John's gospel, it says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Or verse 6 of our passage in the ESV, because it's a bit clearer, I have manifested your name. You see, in Jesus Christ, God the Father reveals His name, His essence, the perfection of His character and glory and love and goodness and justice and mercy and wrath. In the person of Jesus, God reveals Himself and gives Himself to us. Finally, as he promised to Moses, in all his fullness and glory. And that just as Jesus has revealed the Father to the disciples, what does he pray? He says, Father, keep them in it. Keep them close to you. Keep them in your name. Don't let them stray outside of it. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you've given me. Isn't that interesting? It's being given to Jesus. It's the Father's name that was given to the Son because Father and Son are united in the one divine name. They are the one God, sharing all the same characteristics and glory. The Father and the Son share the one name, unified in it. The Son is given the name and He kept them in the name, He says, which You gave to Me. I guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. He's talking about Judas who betrays him. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus says, I've kept them close to your word. I've kept them close to your name. I've kept them inside it. But I'm going, Father. And so, Father, will you keep them in your name? You see, the most important thing here is that the revelation of God in Jesus is not lost because the disciples have the responsibility of proclaiming it to the ends of the earth, of seeing Scripture written. And so this is a vital moment for the work of God to proceed. And Jesus says, you've got to keep them. You've got to guard them in the name I've revealed. See, this this helps us understand the language of keeping. You know, the NIV used the language of protection, but I don't really like that because none of the disciples get protected. Eleven of them are going to get executed. 
The language of protection doesn't really work. Physically, they're harmed. But spiritually, they're kept in with the Father under His name. Jesus goes on and says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That language of keeping again. Jesus says, don't take them out from the world. They need to be in the world. I'm sending them into the world to be different. The only way for them to escape danger will be to take them out of the world. He says, no, 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 keep them in the world, but protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the, the, the spiritual Lord of the air who will so speak lies to them and accuse them that will, he will seek to draw them out from under the word that I've given them. What the disciples need, what we need, is for the Father to spiritually keep and protect us from our great spiritual enemy. A great spiritual enemy who wants us to distrust the word given in Jesus. Who wants to lie to us about the goodness of the Father we see. Who wants to so flood our hearts and lives with other things that Jesus just becomes dull and uninteresting. Who wants to keep the facts of Scripture in our head but far from our heart. Who wants to make sure above all else that we do not see the beauty of Jesus in all of its fullness and glory. Who wants to drag us out from under the name that has been revealed of the Father by the Son. Friend, do you know that? Do you know of this enemy? Who even right now might be accusing and lying to you through all myriad of things. But hear your Savior praying for you. That your Father, who is above all, will keep you. What a prayer. Here is the eternal God praying to keep you. Friend, he's powerful enough. You not, need not worry. Indeed, all of this is designed to show the disciples that this Father and this Son, united in the one name, they will protect them through whatever comes, just as they will protect you. But the question is, how? How will the Father keep them? How will he enable this to happen? Well, this is where I think actually the last thing that Jesus asks of the Father is actually the means of it all happening. What's the last thing that Jesus prays? In verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. The Holy Father will sanctify them by His truth and by His Son. And it's that work of sanctifying, of setting apart as holy, of making holy, that will mean that the Father keeps them. It's really interesting, this language of sanctification, of being made holy, of being set apart for a purpose. It's kind of all through this section. Did you notice how Jesus addresses the Father as the Holy Father? That same language of holiness? It's the only place that phrase, Holy Father, is used in the whole New Testament. Jesus prays to his Holy Father 
to make these disciples holy as Jesus sends them out into the world into danger. It's so interesting to me all this because Jesus is very clear. Don't get them, let them get into the dangerous world. I don't want them to be close to the way. I don't want you to take them out of the world. I'm going to send them into the world. They have to go into the mess, into the danger, into battle with the evil one himself, into the hatred of the world. Send them out. So how on earth are they supposed to do that? You know, what kind of strategies can they use to not compromise with the world but be protected safe from the evil one? What's the solution? To be made holy. To be set apart in the same way that they have been set apart by the Father from all eternity. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification here is not just behavior modification. We sometimes think of being made holy as a task we take on for ourselves. But here is a task taken on by God the Father, by his word of truth in us to make us holy. How is that possible? Well, by the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Father will send his Holy Spirit into the hearts of the disciples that by his Holy Word they might see more of his Holy Son. Sanctification is not just about changing the way we behave, but about changing the depth and the texture of the truth we know, of the truth our heart sees. Well, what Jesus is asking for is for the Holy Father to flood the disciples with a vision of him by the Holy Spirit so that they are different, so that they are his light, so that they are his as he sends them out into the world. It's It's an incredible thing that what we need to to battle the evil one, what we need to not compromise or run away from the world is just more of Jesus by his word and by his spirit. This is what Jesus is praying for in the vulnerabilities of life, in the anxieties of life. We need this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to make us holy. Jesus says, for them, for their sake, I sanctify myself. Which is strange, because it's like, well, he's already holy. But what he's saying is, I'm setting myself apart for the task of making them holy. Jesus sets himself apart for the task that the Father set him apart for, to walk to the cross for the sake of our impurity for the sake of our belief of the evil one's lies, for our distractedness and disbelief, Jesus sanctifies himself, sets apart and walks to the cross, bearing our impurity that we might become his holiness, that we might be truly sanctified. Friend, this is what you need in the vulnerability of life. This Holy Father, by His Holy Spirit, flooding you with this Holy Son, 
who has made you the fathers, who will sanctify you to the extent you're willing to let this father flood your heart with his spirit. Let me pray as Jesus prays here for us all. Oh, Father, we confess tonight our distracted hearts and in the midst of things that are happening right now, it is so difficult to see clearly. And yet we want to take up this prayer and know that our our Lord Jesus is probably praying it now for us as we pray. That, Holy Father, you would keep and guard us in the truth revealed in Jesus. That you would sanctify us Flood us by your Holy Spirit that we might taste more of your Holy Son and so not neither compromise nor run from your world but willingly walk in it as yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.